Lord, thank you for uh, being our God and making us be your people, for, for choosing us, especially uh, when we have not chosen you, especially for those days that we are not choosing you. You are faithful, you are secure, uh, you are trustworthy, and you love us. We thank you for your word that uh, Pastor Tim is going to be preaching to us. Lord, would you till the soil of our, of our souls uh, so that your word would be planted deeply and grow uh, deep, deep roots in, into us and, and, and provide us changed lives, that we would, uh, we would grow in our love for you and grow, therefore, in our love for one another and for the lost. And uh, once again, Lord, we, just, we, we are thankful for um, and we bless uh, Tim Bice for, for preaching the word today. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you guys rise for the re reading of this word? Today's sermon comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that none, no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you, good order, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for your kind words. Um, I know you were trying, but the truth of the matter is I'm probably not that good of a guy. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> um, but I really appreciate appreciate Matt. And I am really, really honored to be here today to deliver God's word to you. Um, and I don't know all of you. I've met some of you. Um, I know some of you a little bit better than others. Um, but here's what I do know. I know the same Jesus you know, and um, I know the same Father that you know, and it makes us family. And so I was thinking big brother, maybe not uncle, but big brother <laughs> to come today um, and, and, and just talk about the book of Colossians. Um, now, I think you probably know this, but Pastor Matt and I, are studying books of the Bible together and preaching them to our respective churches. He here at RCC, I at Greenbrier Church, and it has been a huge blessing to me um, and a help and an aid to me. So thank you for, for um, letting us do this together. Two quick things before we get started. Two quick things before we get started. I'm going to have to leave directly after the service. I'm not being rude. I like you so far, I mean, <laughs> so far, but uh, I have to be back in Albany at 3 p.m. to teach a class. Um, we're having our partnership experience, and so um, each week one of our elders teaches, so it's my week, and so I've got to jet there and get there by three, number one. Number two, second thing I want you to know before we get started, Matt and I don't speak the same language sometimes. He says Colossians, I say Colossians. He says Colossae, I say Colossae. He says Laodicea, I say Laodicea. So here's the deal. I am from South Georgia, and as I told someone earlier, I hope you don't need Rosetta Stone uh, to interpret what I'm saying to you. <laughs> 
But uh, just know that we're going to be saying some things a little bit differently. Needed to give you a pre-warning on that, right? So what are we doing? What are we doing in this series as we look at this book? We are talking about the gospel being for everybody, every church body, right? The, the gospel doctrine informing our gospel culture. What I like to do before each of these sermons for our congregation is to remind them what those are. What in the world is gospel doctrine? Here's what gospel doctrine is. Gospel doctrine is what the whole Bible says about the good news of Jesus Christ, who God is, what in fact he has done, and now what your new identity is in him. Another way to say it is it's absolute truth. Gospel doctrine is truth. So if gospel doctrine is truth, gospel culture is beauty. Beauty that comes from church, from the truth, from the gospel. So gospel culture is what the gospel does. It creates beautiful relationships in such a way that the whole world is watching a culture interact and love one another so that they may know you are disciples of Jesus. And as we go through this gospel doctrine, gospel culture, another way to help us understand what the kind of DNA, the feel, the beliefs, the behaviors are in a gospel culture, we've come up with five traits. Now, there are more, but these help us to put them in simple categories. But the gospel traits, the gospel DNA of a, what, what, in a church where the gospel doctrine is informing should look like this, a people devoted. Notice that each one of these says a people devoted. Not you as an individual, but we as a people. Not just witnessing and observing, but devoted to together. A people devoted means that these things are central because God is central in our lives. A people devoted to scripture, our source of truth. A people devoted to gospel fluency, not Jesus juking, <laughs> but actually helping uh, one another, like help, helping one another like, replace the lies we believe in the world with the gospel truths that change us. A people devoted to prayer, a dependency upon God, intimacy with God, a relationship with God. A people devoted to loving God and loving one another, just like the catechism you read a moment ago. And lastly, a people devoted to joyful obedience. When you feel like you have to obey God, is it a begrudging, I got to do this, I have to do this? Or does something rise up in you that brings you such a deep joy, saying, God, thank you for saving me and giving me the privilege to joyfully obey you in all areas of my life? That is a gospel culture, and that's what we're talking about today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in to these seven verses. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us all for the sake of of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray.
Amen. I want to ask you a rhetorical question. On a scale from 1 to 10, how happy are you today? Now, when I use the word happy, what I'm, if I want to use a biblical term, I'm going to use the word content, joyful. But I think we can say happy if we define it correctly. When I say happy, I mean this long-lasting, hope-filled happiness, a joy, a contentment. Well, how happy are you on that scale? A three, four. Some of you may be, you know, I'm kind of halfway. I don't know, four or five, maybe a six. Some of you had a great week. You're like, bro, I'm at a nine, you know, until I got here and saw your ugly face. Now I'm an eight or whatever. <laughs> Some of you are lower, like a two or a one. My concern is that some of you don't even make the scale. You're in the negatives. Life has been hard. Chaotic. Tough. Circumstances, circumstances beyond your control. You're not alone. I think a lot of people are going through that right now. Here's my hope for you today. My hope is that you move up in the scale of an intense joy, contentment, and happiness because of Jesus. What he's done and who he has made you the main point of this sermon is this. It's the treasure of Christ alone that causes you to flourish and abound in thanksgiving. It's the treasure of Christ alone that causes you to flourish. Sometimes we're unhappy because things seem to be going, be going backwards, not forwards. Disintegrating, not being built up and thriving and flourishing. It brings darkness into our lives. We're unhappy when we're not growing spiritually. Let me say this too. This very, the last verse, abounding in thanksgiving, if your life had a dashboard they told you know like your car you can see how much gas you need where you are with it what your battery level is oil pressure speedometer well for us there are also other gauges that we see how we're doing in our lives and if you realize that your life right now is running low on a grateful heart is a sign that you're not content Grateful hearts are expressing gratitude. The inward reality of God's peace and joy in you is expressed in thanksgiving. 
Not just being grateful and thankful, but abounding in thanksgiving. It's the treasure of Christ alone that causes you to flourish, not disintegrate, and to abound in thanksgiving, not complaining and grumbling and being downcast and despondent, but a grateful heart. Paul is addressing the Colossians in such a way that when they read it and they believe this gospel doctrine that he's laying out, that their happiness scale is increasing and they're abounding with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that God has done and all that he has made you. You know what that comes out to be? A gospel culture. An infectious gospel culture. Let's take a look at how Paul lays it out for this church. Keep in mind, Paul is in prison and he's writing to a congregation. He's writing to a local church in Colossae and also wants it to be read in Laodicea. And most likely Hierapolis as well. Those are three cities in the Lycus Valley, the Tri-City area. And by the way, I get to go there in May. I can't wait, but those cities are real close together. So they shared a lot. Paul is writing from a prison. Epaphras, the guy who planted the church in Colossae, has come to him and says, Paul, man, like there are false teachers coming and they're teaching things like Gnosticism and, and, and a modified Judaism and asceticism and Paul says, okay, I'm going to write to this church. I'm going to encourage and instruct them. Look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know. I want you to know something. Not just hear it. Being read. Man, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt something. How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. He says, look, guys, I need you to know something. I am struggling. That's an athletic term. In the original Greek language, it's agonizome. It's where we get our English word agony from. Paul's like, I need you to know, I want so much for you. That like an athlete running a marathon every day, my body beating my soul is struggling, it's agonizing for you. I can't see you face to face. I wish that I could. I am in prison, but I want so much for you. So what? What does he want? For this church. Verse 2. That their hearts. And the reason he says their hearts. Is he's speaking not only to the church in Colossae. But also Laodicea. Also Hierapolis more than likely. That their hearts may be encouraged. There are three things he says here. Encouraged. Being knit together in love. And to reach all the riches of full assurance. Of understanding and knowledge. Of God's mystery which is Christ. Three things. And they're not three separate things. There are three things being built up together. Look at the first one. 
man, I am agonizing. Like an athlete who's about to ruin his body so that you may be encouraged. Some of you, I'm convinced, need to be encouraged this morning. Can I do that for a moment? Real quick, like, just parenthetical time here for me to say a few things. God really loves you. He demonstrated it. All of your sin passed this morning, last night, and every sin you'll commit in the future, he absorbed in himself in order to give you his righteousness, his right standing, to forgive your sin and give you himself forever. Oh my goodness, he loves you. You are his sons and daughters that are precious in his sight. You're the excellent ones in Christ. He's not against you, he's for you. His presence isn't far, it is near because of Jesus. He doesn't leave you nor forsake you. He loves you. When we stop and pause and realize who this is that loves us so much, the creator God, the mighty God, the splendid God of the universe, knows every hair on your head, knows your needs before you know your needs, and is delighted to meet them. That's the kind of God that loves you. I want you to be encouraged today. Sometimes just that moves us up the scale in our joy and contentment and happiness. But not only that, he says, you know, I want you to be encouraged. He says, now he gives us how. Hey, I want you to be encouraged. Like I, I, I try to do so with the gospel. He adds a whole other element. Be encouraged. How? By being knit together in love. Woven in like a strong fabric together. Crocheted like a warm, comforting blanket together in love. Again, I want to remind you, who is Paul writing to? Individuals or people knit together? He's writing to people knit together. If we're honest, over the last two and a half years, we've had something tremendously difficult to go through that has unknit our souls from one another, isolated us, kept us apart, kept us from being face-to-face. -face. Man, here's Paul longing to be face-to-face, -face, and he can't because he's in prison. And you know what? It feels like we have been too. But he says, I want you to be encouraged. How? By being knit together. Something has happened to Christians, and I know in my church I can at least, I can at least talk about them. I don't know what's going on here well enough to say anything to you, but I do want to encourage you. I do want to see you sliding up the scale of contentment and happiness and joy. 
but I have noticed discouragement has come by being separated, unknit, not able to see face to face one another, being in a prison. When we are truly knit together, we're doing what Jesus wanted the church to do. How many of you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Let me just ask you that. Who hasn't heard, right? In his teaching of Ephesians chapter 2, do you know what he calls the local church? The dearest place on earth. What do we call the church? A necessary nuisance? A vitamin, a religious vitamin supplement? Something I must do to get God's favor? Do you know why Charles Spurgeon says that the local church is the dearest place on earth? Because Ephesians 2 teaches us it's where God's presence now resides. No longer in the temple on the day of atonement. No longer just walking with Adam and Adam only in the garden. But in, not, in, in, not just on Sundays. He's with us when we're knit together. Face to face. Holding one another accountable. Helping each other see our sins and our idols to, to get rid of, to be fighting sin so that we can have this joy. He says, I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you. Be knit together in the dearest place on earth. God's church. Then he says this, here's what will happen. Here's what I want for you. Here's how you do it. Here's what will happen. Are you ready? To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, the Messiah in the Old Testament sealed, then the Messiah in the New Testament revealed our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. In him, in him, Eight times in this chapter, in him, in his position is what that means. He took our position on the cross and put you in his position through faith in him. Full assurance, riches, wealth is eternal. Then he says in verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We pursue this together. And let me just say this about Jesus real quick. This isn't a dead Jesus we're talking about. He's not on the cross still. Neither is he in the grave. He is alive. Risen from the grave. Defeated death. Ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father pleading your case before the Father night and day. I love him. I'm pleased with him. I want the best for her. I love her. 
He is alive. So is his word. It's living. It's alive. So is the spirit of God that he sent to us, in us, alive. Not a dead Jesus, not a dead religion. And that is why when we knit together, we are encouraged in this growth of wealth, of knowing God increases. And when that happens, the scale moves. Let's explain why. Verse 4. I say this in order. Oh, okay, great. Was he explaining something? I say all of this. For what? He's now addressing the problems in Colossae. The false teachers. The people who lie. Say words that are opposite of the gospel. He says, I say all of this. I'm reminding you of the truth of God so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I'm going to come back to that, but let me read, go ahead and read verse 5. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith, your trust, your belief in Christ. Paul can't be with him, them. He's in prison. He wants to. That's why he says, hey, look, my spirit's with you. I'm with you in spirit. We can't do that, by the way. This is one area we can't be like Paul. And I hear this often in our church. I'm with you in the spirit, bro. Like, I don't, we don't need a bunch of spirits floating around. We need you. I love that we have an online service to bless and minister to our congregation, but it breaks my heart when people trade face-to-face, in touch, in person, growth, knit together, in love kind of growth because we want to sit in our pajamas on the couch and be miserable. The slide going this way, not knowing why. Man, you're going to be happy and joyful when you are obeying Christ, when you are in the Spirit. That's how we were designed. But he says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He said something similar to the Corinthians when he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, right? This little phrase, plausible arguments. The NESB says persuasive arguments. The NIV says fine-sounding arguments. The King James Version says enticing words. Here's what I need you to know. (laughs) You and I are bombarded with plausible lies that we believe will give us some sort of happiness and joy and contentment in this world. See, it's Satan's trick. We have a true, real enemy. He is at war with us. You are not just born into this world. You are born into a war. 
And the war is not the devil with, you know, horns and the weird-looking tail, bright red with a pitchfork. Not to say that he does not use demons and demonized people, but that's not his main tactic. His main tactic is to lie to you with something plausible, believable. Like if I were to tell you, hey man, I used to play for New York Knicks. And uh, Jordan, Michael Jordan and I, man, like we played one-on-one all the time. I'm not in the LeBron James era, so it has to be Michael Jordan. I'm older. But anyway, I mean, I'd dunk on him. I'd beat him every time. You'd be like, bro, that ain't even plausible. Are you kidding me? But if I were to say, if I were to put on like a, some scrubs and a white lab coat with a doctor such and such and a stethoscope around my neck and say, hey, yes, I'm a general surgeon, Tim Bice, nice to meet you, you'd be like, it's plausible. Or if I dress up in a suit with a bow tie and have a briefcase and say, yeah, I'm an attorney, that's plausible. Until you got to know me right. <laughs> How do you think your enemy who's at war with you is going to try to derail you, rob you of your joy in Christ. How do you think he's going to do that? Plausible lies. Where do those come from? Well, they come from the news, social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram Reels. They come from blogs and articles and conspiracy theories. They come from friends who are also steeped in false narratives that are always spewing with a big megaphone these plausible lies. When we get away from the word of God and the people of God, we are susceptible to the lies of Satan. And they're always plausible. What you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you feel. And something doesn't necessarily have to be just true to devastate you. It just be believed in your heart to devastate you. So let me try to put it this way. These plausible lies. How it works. What Paul is, 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 is trying to do. He's trying to get them away from false teaching and into the truth of the gospel, right? That's what he's doing. I want you to think of it this way. So do you remember when uh, Pastor Matt taught you first, uh, the first chapter of Colossians, uh, verse 17? In him all things are held together. Or he holds all things together. Do you remember that? How powerful is that? I mean, it's high Christology, but it's also like this beautiful power that the second person of the Trinity holds. This agent of creation, all things were made by him. He holds them all together. What? Think about this. Jesus was dead in the grave for three days, yet held all things together. How much more then can he hold all things together in your life if he did that while he was in the grave? The cool thing is, is he teaches us how. Trust his word. Believe him. Follow him. In that same verse, verse 17 of Colossians 1, 
hold all things together is actually one word in the original Greek language. It's an east emi. You know where we get our English word from on that word? System or systems. Christ's kingdom is a system that he created and he holds it together. Do you know what a system is? A system is, I'll just, let me read this to you. The way a system works is you make input expecting desired outputs. That's a system. So, for example, if I go to a drink machine, I want to put in a dollar bill, I want to press Coke Zero, and I expect a Coke Zero to come out. But if I go and try to put a paper clip in, nothing will come out. Or if I put my dollar in and then expect to get a beer out of it, and I hit Coke, I'm not going to get a beer. I'm going to get a Coke. That's a system. Your physical body is a system. You put food in, nutrients. Your digestive system, so your, the system of your body is made of multiple systems. The digestive system breaks it down and puts all the nutrients like into your, your body. Why? So you can have energy to breathe, to think, to live, to walk, to go, to work. Your body's a system. Do you believe that, first of all? Are you good with that? Are we tracking? <laughs> so is your soul. Your soul is a system created by Christ Jesus, holding it together. But if you're putting plausible lies as your inputs, you're not getting happiness and joy and contentment as an output. You're getting the opposite. Believing gospel doctrine is the input that goes into the system of your soul with the result of gratitude, thanksgiving, flourishing, joyful obedience. I guess my question to you then is like, what's your primary source for the input of your soul? What's going in? Your eye gates, your ear gates, your mouth gate. What's going in? And are you expecting plausible lies? False narratives, coping mechanisms that aren't the gospel to go inside of your soul, the system Jesus created, and give this desired output of happiness? I don't know what your inputs are. The Lord does. I don't. Plausible lies. If left unattended, that's why we need each other. We'll produce the thorns and thistles of a sinful and harmful outputs. Gospel truths, when trusted, will produce the fruit of joy and obedience. Do you remember in the book of uh, this Leviticus, and I think it's also in Deuteronomy, God is talking to Israel, you know, if you obey my commands, and he's talking to them about how they're going to be blessed. One of, there's a part in it, he said, you know what he says? He says, I will make you the... Anybody know? Head and not the what? I'll make you the head and not the tail. I was on the way here. I don't know the name of that road. It's between McDonough and Hampton. 
81, is that Highway 81? I don't know, whatever it is, okay. Beautiful. Man, I, I was driving and I saw like this green pasture with a bunch of cows. I'm like, oh, cows reminds me of home. All right. And I thought about their tails and their heads. They're using their heads to eat and take in nutrients to feed their bodies, and they're using their tails to flap away flies. But when you think about a tail, it's just getting whipped around. It has no head of its own, does it? Like wherever the cow wants to go, whatever the cow wants to do, the tail follows. Some of us are going through the same thing right now, and you're letting every false narrative Every deceptive thing, every coping mechanism whip you around like a tail, and you're not the tail. That's not your identity. Your identity is the head, not the head of the church like Christ. But you're to be like Christ. You're to be living in self-control. You should be eating the word of God and being nourished by it. Be the head and not the tail. Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What is he saying? The same way you were saved is the same way you live. You came to Jesus with nothing in your hands. You live and follow Jesus and nothing but him. Like, that's it. Sometimes I think we, we only get saved, now we got to learn how to live, live a Christian life. You live the Christian life by staying at the cross in humility and surrender to him. In the same way he saved you, he is saving you, and he is sanctifying you, right? But he says, walk in him. What does that mean? This is a Jewish metaphor. It talks about how you follow, how you live, how you behave. Um, so some, maybe, maybe you've heard this, but in Paul's day, there were rabbis. Okay, um, and rabbis would choose some Talmudim, disciples, to follow them so that they one day can be rabbis and teach others as well. Okay? There was an old saying, when a disciple followed a rabbi, that he was in the dust of the rabbi. Have you ever heard that? In the dust of the rabbi. In other words, where he goes, I go. What he eats, I eat. Where he walks, I walk. How he works, I work. What he does, I do. What he teaches, I learn and teach. I'm in his dust. I am walking behind him. Jesus is the greater rabbi. We are to walk in his dust. We are to follow him. What he says, I say. What he does, I do. What he commands, I listen and obey. I walk with him. I walk in in him still based on hey I'm going to encourage you be knit together find all of these riches these treasures of knowledge and understanding and wisdom all in Christ Jesus it's in Christ alone he's your treasure follow him quit following the world follow Jesus verse 7 then he says this this is what you'll be. I want you to be encouraged. Here's how you do it. You knit together. Here's what you'll find. 
This is what your life will be like. Rooted. And built up in him. Established in faith. Just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. It's the treasure of Christ alone that causes you to flourish and abound in thanksgiving. You're rooted. Do you know this is Psalm 1 talk? Do you know Psalm 1 about the tree being planted by the river's edge? Growing strong, bearing fruit, prospering, leaves don't wither. Same, same talk. Guys, you who have trusted Christ, you've been transplanted like a tree by the water with an unlimited supply of living water. It's he who establishes you, not by your works, but by his. This is what he wants for you, rooted. So, where does a root come from? You have to start with a seed. Did you know like a, a seed, like an apple seed, has a coat on it? Like a coating. A seed, it's called seed coating. And it preserves the seed in most any kind of element, for the most part, until it's buried in the ground where there's moisture and darkness. And the first thing that happens to that seed is the seed coating dies. Once the seed coating dies, new life comes out. I need you to listen to me. If you truly desire to be, have this joy, to have your sins forgiven, to have Christ, to flourish and abound in thanksgiving, do you really want that? Do you really want that? Because if you do, here's the invitation. Come and die. Die to your flesh. Die to false narratives. Die to fear of people and what they think about you. Surrender to the Lord. Let him take. Here's what we do, and it usually starts when we're kids. And some of you will recognize this, and you may need counseling. And I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. I, are you willing to fight for this joy? The way Paul is fighting for the Colossians' joy? Are you? Because it's going to require you to fight. It ain't happening on the couch. It's not going to happen with you being passive. You're going to die. And that's a fight. It's a fight to die. Dying to yourself. Here's what it looks like. Some of you, even when you were children, things happened to you at a young age. Some of you have gone through horrific things. You're abused. Taken advantage of. Shamed, bullied. The list could go on and on and on. It was so painful that you had to protect yourself in order to survive in this world. That's either, so you create a seed coating. I'm going to be a tough guy. You change your identity. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to get others before they get me. I'm going to cope with medication or I'm going to cope 
with self-medication. Some of those have, have its place, the medication part and the self-medication. Some of those do have their place. I'm going to stay a hermit. I'm not going to get out. I don't want the world to hurt me. Like, I, don't, I don't know what it is for you. But I can grant you, you got a seed coat just like I do. And what we're honestly doing is trusting in our own self and our own flesh to give us the joy, the comfort, the protection that only Christ can, our treasure. You want to grow into a flourishing life, abounding in thanksgiving? Die to yourself. Do you think you can do that alone? Who knows that? Satan knows that. Guys, I'm... For my church, not necessarily, but I just want you to hear me talk about my congregation. I am finally at a point as a shepherd to ask this question. How long are we going to live in shame and fear over this pandemic until it is sin because we are not fellowshipping with the Father and other people? How long? can't keep going forever I'm not saying be unwise I'm not saying be not be loving to others I'm just simply asking a question like how long are we going to do this <laughs> I mean at some point if we're not being knit together we're in sin at some point as John says in 1 John that if we don't have fellowship with one another, that we are in sin. You know where you are when you're in sin? On the scale of 1 to 10 of joy and happiness and contentment? Pretty doggone low. These are questions that we do need as a church body, at least at Greenbrier, to begin to think about. Because I know this. If I don't know anything else, I know this. I know that it's the, it's the treasure of Christ alone will cause us to flourish and abound in thanksgiving. Last point, last thing. Back up to verse 5. Rejoicing to see Paul. It makes Paul rejoice. The same like joy, contentment, happiness that I'm talking about us. He's saying, I am up there high on the scale. Why? When I see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Those are military terms. So far, Paul has used athletic terms, agricultural terms, and now military. You think he's trying to get a point across? Let me try to close with this illustration. Let me ask you, because we, again, this is in context of the church body. We don't need to forget that. This is in context of the dearest place on earth because the Spirit of God dwells in his people knit together. Okay? My question to you is this. How, in your mind's eye, do you view two things? The first one is this. When I talked about the Talmudim, 
the disciples of the rabbis being in the dust? I want you to think real quick. Like, would you do this for me? Will you envision what that looks like? Just for five seconds. In the dust of the rabbi, what does that look like in your mind? You know what I'm willing to bet? You are alone. There's just you following Jesus. It's we. It's us. Knit together. I want you to think about 30, 40, 50. As God grows this congregation, I want you to think about 100 people. You locked arm in arm in the dust of the greater rabbi, Jesus Christ, following him, dying to self, doing what he's called you to do. And when you do, there goes the scale. Higher and higher in your joy. Second illustration I want to give you is this. How do you see the church? Let's do it this way. I'll give you three ways we can view the local body, the local church. Number one, cruise ship. Amen? Y'all be like, heck yeah. <laughs> or a battleship. Oh, yeah. Military talk. Or an aircraft carrier. Here's the cruise ship. I'm going on this cruise. I'm willing to pay my tithes to get on it. But I'm going to enjoy every single thing that the professional clergy has for me to enjoy. I'm going to do the little, what's that little thing? Uh, shuffleboard. I'm going to do the shuffleboard, right? I'm going to swim. I'm going to eat. I'm going to dance. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to feel so good when we get back. people look at the church like that as if it were a religious vending machine where we put our tithes and service in and pull out spiritual candy that's going to cause us to have a high caloric malnutrition church is not a cruise ship is it a battleship Ooh, maybe here's what a battleship looks like you got a captain and a gunner I mean, they're blasting holes in the gates of hell all the time. And everybody on the battleship is like, yeah, go, preacher. Where you go, fire it off, win some. But we're really kind of like on the little boats on the side of it, like the Titanic had, you know, like the, what were those called, the lifeboats, right? Go get them, professional clergy. You're happy. But then there's the aircraft carrier where every single person from cook to captain, whether you're on a plane or whether you're getting planes in, whether you're the pilot or you're just people on deck, everyone's working together for a mission to send. To send. Y'all, the, the mission statement that we read... That's not just a cute thing that Matt and the rest of the guys came up with. It's the Bible, condensed in a way that it's easy for you to understand. The middle part, the sandwich, is to be mission, on mission for Jesus 
Are you? Stuart, when he, when he opened up, he was in John 17. If you keep going down to verse 18, one of the things he said is that the Father has sent me. That's what Jesus says. The Father has sent me, didn't he? You know what Jesus says in verse 18? In the same way the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. <laughs> Are you willing to be sent? Do you see church as an aircraft carrier where you're either flying out or you're helping people fly out? These Colossians were being encouraged to take a stand like military soldiers for the sake of truth, the gospel, and to live out a gospel culture of trusting in God and his word and prayer, speaking the truth and love to one another, to love God, to love others, whether it's the people in this congregation or your neighbor. And to do it all with this joyful obedience that only he can give. Amen. Do you believe the Bible is true? Let's get down to brass tacks. I'll end with this. I probably, I probably went longer than Matt normally does. My goodness. Something about this stage. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Do you believe the Bible's true? Basic question. Do you believe Jesus' words that are recorded in the Bible are true? Just basic question. Or do you believe it intellectually? You got the knowledge, the riches of knowledge. But has it gotten down into your heart with the wisdom? That he has the words of life. It's an inexhaustible treasure for you. Do you believe that his words, that in the same way the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, are true? The only way to know that is if you're doing it. But if you have the wrong inputs and plausible lies that told you that it doesn't matter and that your safety is more important, Man, I'm all, I, I can't remember, I should have looked this up, but I haven't. But like, do you remember back in history, in church history, I think it was the Black Plague, that Christians were known for going out into the streets to save people dying from the Black Plague. Ooh. And we're having trouble with the basics of loving our neighbor and being a people devoted to the things of God. Why? I'm telling you why. It's false inputs, man. Plausible lies. We need gospel truth to be our megaphone, not the world. What I want to do to end, I didn't know how I was going to do this. I'm going to Trust the Spirit. Not do anything strange. 
But I want a moment of silence for you to think. What are the lies you believed that are contrary to God's word and the gospel? What is your life rooted in? Who are you trusting? You or God? Maybe this one. Do you feel as if you're the head or the tail? Are you getting whipped around by everything and every circumstance around you? Are you steady? Feeding upon the gospel and the word of God in the dust of the greater rabbi, doing what he does, saying what he says. You're the head. That's the head, by the way. Being the tail is being whipped around by every other false doctrine and every other plausible lie. Let's take a moment, just a moment to answer those questions.